As a working mom, I was spinning on my heels trying to be everything to everyone without realizing overwhelm had its firm grip over me. And it's no wonder since we juggle many identities and responsibilities and tendencies to shy away from our awesomeness. Does this sound like you? I believe one of the keys to successful living is activating our personal power. The question is, how do we do this? Join me each week as I uncover actionable tips from experts and intentionally aligned working mums who, like you and me, are on a journey to boost their personal power. My name's Roxana. Welcome to the Personal Power Boost Podcast. I am so excited to be welcoming back on my show, Joe Lee. Now, some of you may have remembered Joe from a previous episode. Joe is an amazingly passionate lady who has her finger in so many pies. She is interested in nutritional health, so much so that she became a nutritional therapist a few years ago. She reinvented herself, her life, her career, all because she wants to make the world a better place. Welcome, Joe. Hi, Roxana. Thank you for having me back again. You're welcome. It's a pleasure to have you. It's a pleasure to have you. Now, last time you came on the show, you answered my one big question and you gave such a beautiful answer. I still remember it to this day. So first, Joe, I'd love to know a little bit about your backstory. Okay, ask away. What, well, where did you grow up? What kind of childhood did you experience? Okay. Uh, what were you into? <laughs> Well, I was born in 1968, so I'm 52, and I'm saying that because I think it's quite important to to say how old I am and to explain how I sort of feel I've lived my life in reverse um, educationally. But my childhood was a very traditional one, very happy one. I have a brother, Stephen, who's um, nearly three years older than I am. And I was born in Cambridge, where I grew up. Um, We had a house outside of the main town center with a big garden. And my childhood was just happy. I can remember making mud pies. We had a big field where the local farmer used to look after it and we'd make houses out of haystacks, which would be totally not allowed nowadays because of health and safety, but we had tunnels (laughs) and we used to crawl through them and make forts. And it's weird because I'm so scared of spiders that it's bizarre that I was happy in this sort of situation where there's probably hundreds of spiders all around. And we had a little stream in the farmer's next field and we used to walk down there with a bucket and fishing um, net on our own in those days as fairly young children. And we'd catch minnows in in the stream. And I can remember this clearly, clearly. It was under a sort of a, 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 a road, a little bridge, and there was this little stream. And we went back many years later. We took my children there, but it was quite overgrown. But we'd catch a bucket of minnows and then let them all go and then walk home. And Oh, it sounds it, fun. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I just remember the freedom that we had as children then. Um, and it, it, was, it was wonderful. I mean, Sundays we'd spend, we'd play board games. Monopoly, often it would end up in the air. Someone would lose their temper. <laughs> or things like Kaplunk and Buckaroo. And yeah, it was, it was joyous, actually. I... My parents created a very um, happy, happy space for us mm. as, as children. They were quite protective, though. Um, so they probably they were probably more worried and more concerned at keeping us safe 
than I am as a parent. I think it's quite interesting for me to, to notice that how I'm, I'm different mm. with my children. Not that I'm not concerned about their safety, but I sort of feel that they need the, the freedom and the courage to get out there and explore, make mistakes. Mm. I never encourage them to regard themselves as victims if something happens. It's about being really empowered, as I've said before. Um, but yeah, my childhood was good, was happy, supportive, um, nice time at school, nice friends. I think there was a phase probably in my teens where I didn't quite fit in at school. Um, I think I was probably, my parents were more restrictive about where I could go, how late I could stay out. And I think that made me feel a little bit isolated at school. Right. And I do remember a few times spending lunch hours sort of lurking around in the toilets, wanting it to, to go faster hmm. but otherwise despite that I mean I was a SWAT I loved working I loved studying um, and probably for a lot of my life that idea of having to get everything perfect was a bit of a limiting um, factor for me but thankfully that's mostly passed now. Fantastic Is, you said at the beginning that you lived your life in, res, in reverse a little what did you mean by that? Well, I married very young. Uh, well, for today's sort of ages, I married when I was 21. Um, mm. What had happened was I went to university after finishing school at 18, went to Leeds University, started a course which was, I think, French, Spanish and management studies. And I just didn't really like it. And so I left. I made a decision to leave. Mm. I did a bilingual secretarial course intensive in Cambridge and was lucky to be headhunted for working at an American investment bank in London. And it's there I met my first husband and we married, at, I was just 21. And then we moved to Bahrain um, with his job and had two children. Tasha was nine months when I went out to Bahrain and Ben was born in Bahrain about mm -hmm. five years later. So I then became, which I loved, I mean, I was very keen to have children, but I became this sort of probably stereotypical housewife, very focused on my children. And I, I acknowledged that I was so privileged to have the chance to stay at home and be with them. Mm. Obviously in the Middle East, I had a lot of support in the house, so I could really enjoy my children without a lot of the financial worries and physical sort of load of the housework that people typically have. So. I'm forever grateful for that because my children and I, I think, really benefited. It's a luxury that not everybody has. And so that continued for quite a while. And it wasn't until um, after I got divorced, and I think I was around 36, and I was then back in England with the two children, and they were at school in England, um, that things, you know, obviously started to change. But even then, I still wasn't studying. And I started off actually doing um, a history degree with Open University. Mm. I did a module a year. It took me six years, but I was so thrilled. Um, I got the degree I wanted, and I can still remember to this day getting my results in an email, and I actually burst into tears because the, the hard work and the time that went into it, and I think my family would attest to you know those days when I'm at the desk and you're almost crying because you don't know what you've got to try and do with this essay question yeah but I loved it and it, for me it was such a, a key thing because I think I'd been judged so much in especially in the early years of 
being a mum and also being a second wife to my first husband, there were certain sort of um, cliches that people labelled you with. Um, yeah. I think, you know, subconsciously, I think that does affect you because you're always feeling you have to prove yourself. Mm -hmm. And I think nowadays society values mums, stay-at-home mums, mums who are working. We're all embraced. There's no judgment and there shouldn't be. I mean, we all do the best we can. and you know, I think if I had my time again, I'd like to have worked as a mum when my children were young, even if it was only one or two days a week. Because I think working mums, whether you have to work or you choose to work, it's such an important role model to see us out there doing things for ourselves outside of being a wife, a mother, a friend. It's doing something for us, which I think it, it can be neglected. Right. I, I, I just want to tell you, Joe, some a little story about something that happened to me. So I, I was working from the age of 16 and I'd worked pretty much every day or every other day from the age of 16 alongside my college and my university. And I was I graduated at 21 and got a job straight away. I was lucky and I'd worked all my life. And <laughs> when I had my first daughter, I went back to work. Um, four days a week so not completely full-time but you know unfortunately you end up doing a whole week's work in mm. four days yes. and then when I had my son I went back to work but then I very quickly realized that I can't reconcile the two lives like I can't work in that way and be a, a mum and it was so interesting a few years ago I asked my son what do mummies do and he said they watch tv oh can you imagine the kick in the teeth to me? I just felt like, wow, this yeah. boy thinks that all mummies do is have the TV on in the background and run around picking up laundry and 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 that sort of a thing. And I know a lot of mums do do that. My mum did that. She was a stay-at-home mum. But for me, I just felt like, oh my God, I'm so much more than that. And you have no idea who I am, you know? Yeah. And it, it, for me, it was that moment that I thought, right, what is it that I want to do? And we need to figure this out because I can't have my children thinking that that's all money can do. Yeah. I mean, I can imagine how that would have felt given everything that you had actually done. But for me, it's about embracing everybody's decisions, isn't it? If you like I was very happy to be a stay-at-home mum for, for most of um, my children's early years, mm. in fact, right up until they were teenagers, and I loved it. And I think it's about giving everybody credit for what we choose to do, um, whether we have to or we do it through choice. And I think also it's about giving girls, women, the same opportunity to do things and not to feel that there's things they can't try and to just mm. go for it. I think that's so important. So I can understand why <laughs> you'd like to change your son's view of the fact that, yeah, the TV might can be on, but in fact there's more to mum than just the mum stuff that he sees around the home. I think it's, yeah, it's, it's very important. Well, it certainly was a defining moment for me where I thought this, I, this needs to change. I can't let him think that this is all mummies are capable of doing because I think um, it was his worldview of what mummies do. And I felt like I needed to help influence that uh, narrative in his mind. <laughs> yeah, well, you've certainly done that, which is amazing. Bless you. Thank you. Jo, I, that was such a lovely little tour of your history um 
it's it sounds like you've had quite a magical childhood and i think that that in itself should be celebrated um your parents sound amazing it sounds like you've you've been in a family where relationships and connection is is value it's it's something for today's generation to really think about how we can create that and i think um those kind of um components if you like that come together to create those conditions for uh inclusion and connection and loving um are so important and i i feel like sometimes it's just so hard to grasp those for various different factors um but i i i love that you've had that experience um yeah, I think it, it was definitely sort of a fundamental part of making me um, who I am today. My parents continue to be really supportive, as does my family, my daughter, my son, my husband, the extended family. But I think also in today's sort of social media age, I think it's very easy for people to shout down other people's opinions. And there's a famous quote, is I'm not going to be able to quote verbatim, but it's about, you know, I defend your right to have a different opinion, basically, to mine. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's always important because if we truly listen to someone and, and their opinion is valid, we might not believe it, we might consider it to be racist or any other ism or... Yeah. It, but we have to accept that people have different opinions to us and we don't have to be aggressive. We don't have to shut people down. And I think that's important. And I think doing the university degree really helped me think about the way I process information. I'm not saying I get it right all the time, but far from it, but it just helps you think a little bit differently and look outside of the box. Mm. And um, yeah, it was certainly my upbringing and the education I've been lucky enough to have has really, really helped. And also friends, listening to other people has really shaped and changed me, I think. Now, Joe, you recently trained as a nutritional therapist. I Can did. you take me back to the moment you had that desire? Like what, what triggered you? What, what made you think this is something I want to get into? Well, I can remember very clearly, it was while I was doing my history degree in the final probably year, and I started to suffer from a very painful back with severe sciatica, going right down into my ankle like a metal ring around it, and went, eventually went to the GP and had steroid injections, which gave temporary relief, but didn't really make a big difference. And somebody I knew uh, mentioned Jason Vale and the, his juicing retreats. And his oh, yes. Um, books. I got into this, started off juicing and actually went to one of his retreats in Portugal, which I loved. But then just generally, I started looking at food and thinking about the impact. And I've never eaten a really poor diet. I have a very sweet tooth, which is something from my childhood, from baking with my grandmother to, you know, cupboards full of Easter eggs and stuff as, and chocolates on a Sunday after a Sunday walk. So you sort of grow up with that sweet reward um, driven into you. But it was at that point that I realized that by reducing the amount of sugar I ate and looking at my diet and making changes, I actually started to feel a lot better. Right. And also looking at, holistically looking at the whole body. So I started having acupuncture, and um, this fantastic lady who lives not far from me where she practices from her home, 
and in fact her house is near a church and the consultant actually calls her the nearest thing to God for pain because of her proximity to the church and her ability. <laughs> right. So it was at that point that I then saw the impact it was having on me. I watched a couple of documentaries and that's when I started to do research about which course I wanted to do and came across CNM, which is the College of Naturopathic Medicine. So I went to meet someone from the college um, to see what it entailed and found out that it was a three-year course. And I signed up straight away. I paid in full for the three years because I was determined to, to see it through. Um, but it was a tough course. It's very demanding. I mean, the people on my in my class were amazing and we really supported each other through it but it was three very tough years was it tough in in the sense of the content the subject matter or the time commitment or all of those things everything <laughs> everything in a nutshell um we only had to attend college itself once a week from i think we had lectures from i think it was nine or ten till six but that's a long time of lectures and we used to have day, yeah <laughs> slides from each and then when you got home you then had to go through all of that read a lot deeper do lots of research the first year was biomedicine so you're learning about the body itself like muscles all this basically all the systems of the body so nervous system muscular system um, cardiovascular system immune system everything in detail and it's like almost part of what you know doctors are learning mm. and that was when you look back, it seemed relatively easy when you were then got into the second year when we were really going deep into the conditions and about the nutritional um, therapeutic support. And then in the third year, we were seeing clients. Um, and in the second year, we were actually witnessing our lecturers having clients and we were observing them. So we were constantly exposed to genuine cases in, in clinic. Mm. And so by the end of our course, we each had over 300 hours of clinical um, experience, which is such an incredible um, asset to have. Awesome. And we had exams throughout, we had loads of essays to write, and you had to prep for your clients that were coming in. And then in the final year, we each had to see at least three clients, and we had to um, see them for an initial consultation and a follow-up. And you would be seeing the client with four or five of your peers behind the client watching you and also your supervisor watching you so the pressure was huge and the adrenaline rush was insane especially for the first one or two mm, was, I can imagine <laughs> it was fantastic experience and just I'm so grateful that we had this quite grueling education because you feel much more confident now setting up your own clinic that you're actually you lose that feeling of the imposter syndrome where you constantly feel you don't know enough because obviously knowledge is changing about this area all the time and you have to keep learning keep your you know continuous professional development going so we're constantly up to date yes I love that I love the fact that we keep learning and I still feel like I'm at college though I'm practicing and um, but it's so satisfying so satisfying but I think it's taken me probably six to nine months to recover from that sort of demands of the of the learning probably I found it perhaps even harder than my my degree um in mm. terms of yeah workload 
the intensity it sounds very intense so do you think that for um anybody else who's thinking who's listening in and thinking that they'd like to take on a course similar to the one that you did or anything else that are there any tips that you can suggest to them to help them uh, a make a decision about whether it's the right thing for them to do and b how to get through those intense periods of time okay well starting off by um people that are considering doing something despite what i've just said (laughs) i would definitely go for it and the college that I attended, um, CNM, College of Naturopathic Medicine, they do short courses um, at different um, places around the country. I think they're really centred in, in London, but I attended as one of the, sort of the other schools in Brighton, and there's also Bristol, and I'm sure there's, there's some others as well. I can't recall the locations, but you could look at their website and look at their short courses and attend one of those and get a feel. Mm. Another great college is ION, and they're based in London, so they do amazing courses and day courses as well where you can attend and, and get a feel for what it would be like. And also, you know, people can contact me and ask me questions. I'd be more than happy to answer questions about it. And then I think it's just about really enjoying, enjoying what you're learning. And if you're passionate about it, it is hard, but you get such a kick out of learning it. And a lot of people do it not to even open a clinic. They just do it because they have a health condition that they want to get on top of, or they want to be able to support their family's health. And I often think to myself, my goodness, if I'd done this, my only regret is not having found this passion, this interest when I was younger, because if I was in my twenties doing it, I would be feeling like I was on fire because I have this knowledge for the rest of my life and for my children. It's amazing. And the course also, we had people who were 18 years old up till I was probably one of the older ones, but you know, into their fifties. So that made it great because everyone brought something different to the table. Lots of people were working um, in full-time jobs, part-time jobs or with children. And I mean, my children are all grown up. So, but I take my hat off to all my peers who did it with full-time jobs and children because they're incredible, but we all did it. And it's a very supportive community. I think that's the most exciting thing about it is that obviously when you set up clinic, you'd think there'd be lots of competition, but in fact, people are very supportive. And during college, it was the same. We were all in it together, getting each other through this. If you felt down because it was a tough week for you or you other things were happening in your life there was always someone in our group to lift us up it sounds like a sisterhood <laughs> it is it's about finding your tribe and these girls that i studied with were amazing and i remember when i graduated i put a post on instagram saying with some pictures of us because our graduation was in fact earlier this year even though we we qualified last year and i said you know these people are out there waiting to help you go find them because they won't let you down and I firmly believe that they're just like inspirational some are specializing some aren't but they're all there and it's really for me about people out there that need help with their help finding a nutritional therapist that suits them because everyone's style is different Um, you have to build up a personal relationship you have to trust your nutritional therapist Joe, fantastic Tell me something. What is your greatest achievement to date? What do you love most about your life right now? 
Um, I love having my clinic. I love it, love it, love it. But I mean, it's going to sound very corny. And but my children, sorry, <laughs> quite emotional. Oh, bless you. I'm so proud of them. You're um, a proud mama. <laughs> Ultimately, sorry, it's crazy, but yeah, my kids, I'm very proud of both of them because they're, yeah, they're just very, very special to me. Sorry, I didn't think I'd get so emotional <laughs> about that. No, yeah. no, please don't be sorry, don't be sorry. It's beautiful. I think I can, I can feel your love gushing. <laughs> it's it's reaching for the vomit bucket, but no, honestly, I've got myself together now. I know. <laughs> genuineness I think it's my my children because I'm very proud of them as people um for what they for who they are not so much what they've achieved that they've both achieved great things I think it's just about them as people and you know my relationship with them that's what I'm probably most proud of everything else is important to me but not as important as that so yeah sorry get the kleenex <laughs> <laughs> and joe you know i think i think what's remarkable here is that you've made that happen you've been the guiding force in their life that's helped to shape and create a condition for you three to be so connected to be able to be there for each other in the way that you are and i think that you know we should celebrate you for a minute and just just look at what it is that you think you have done or established maybe not knowingly but what what do you if you could put your finger on it what do you think it is that you've been able to do to create that condition yeah I, I honestly don't really know the answer to that I don't want everyone to think that I'm this perfect um mum because I'm sure I mean I know that I've lost my temper and done crazy stuff and um not always been I don't know done the right thing but I think again my friend always used to say to me you know good people do bad things and I think that's always something to remember and we need to forgive ourselves when we've had lapses or made decisions that haven't always been the greatest but I think it's trying trying to be honest and just allowing my children the space to talk to me and of course we have rows of course we can fall out but I just but Oh, I, I just think it's about giving them the freedom to explore who they are and trying not to judge. And I, and I know that it's easy to step in all the time and try and help them. Mm. So I try and if, if I catch myself doing that or if I catch myself commenting in a negative way, which I have done sometimes, I try and catch myself and stop myself from doing that because mm. people, they don't need us children to point out what they haven't done I try now more to celebrate what they have done whether it's you know keeping their flat clean or, or, or making a dentist appointment rather than constantly reminding them and that is something I've struggled with not to you know that tendency of overthinking for your children um, and we want to protect them but it is stepping back and that's not always easy for mums and dads you know we all want our children to be safe but I think we have to let them grow at their own pace. But no, I think they've given so much to me and I feel very grateful that I've had two such lovely children. And I'm sure my ex-husband would, would join me in that, in that we're, we're exceptionally lucky. They're, um, yeah, they're great. But obviously everyone, we love our children, don't we? 
Oh, we do. We do indeed. I think that you, you, I'm just loving how much love you have for your children and how, <laughs> how you're able to express it in such an articulate way. I think, you know, giving them space and time to, to explore who they are. I think it's, you make it sound so easy. And I think for a lot of parents, that's a really difficult thing to do because you're trying to, to become rounded people, but then we all have our own biases on what that should look like. And to be able to take a moment and just step back and say, you know, I need to just back off a little bit here and let them explore who they want to be. Uh, even though you might see them making mistakes or hurt, being hurt through that process is takes a lot of self-restraint. Um, and I, I commend you. I commend you for that. It does. And I, I think the thing is, whatever we do, I'm sure if you were asking my children questions about me, that, you know, they'd see it from a different perspective. And I think it's important for us to accept that we all do the best we can with what we have and that we're enough as we are. So oh, that's I am with my kids. Sorry, Roxana. No, no, that's beautiful. That we're enough as we are. I love yeah. that. And I think it's, it's about accepting that we have, as you said, we have our own baggage, don't we? Things that mm. happened in our childhood that affects how we are. We might do things completely differently. We might be more restrictive. We might be more liberal. It, 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 it's all our own history. And we can't help that. That's just part of us. So we can acknowledge things. We can see patterns. But we're just all trying to do the best. And then there's a beautiful quote, and I can't remember who said it, but it's about we're all basically walking each other home. And I love that expression. I think it's quite haunting, but I think it, it's just not for family, but also for people we meet. It is that we're all on this journey to home, wherever you feel that is heaven, a, a second life. But it's that journey home. And if we can make that journey supportive and full of love, especially like now we're seeing the outpouring of generosity of different people, Mm. support that's just so uplifting and so empowering for all of us so yeah I, I find it's quite I think a lot of my friends when you talk to them nowadays that they're we're going through this sort of emotional roller coaster of, of you know fear sometimes fanned by media coverage and trying to refocus on the stuff that actually is positive like the people that are recovering all the generosity the, the, the sharing the caring mm. It's, it's just finding that balance, isn't it? It is. It is. So, Joe, tell me, what took you the longest to learn to accept about yourself? Oh, well, I know, I know the answer to that, but I don't have to get everything perfect. That's definitely something that has taken me a long time. I think it stems from when I was around 10. Mm -hmm. I was at a, a convent school, actually, and all our subjects were graded from the first to the, I think there's about 19 of us in the class. So with every exam we did, we had grades and we were listed in order of achievement from first to bottom. So you can imagine that's quite a lot of pressure. I don't think they'd do it nowadays, but I had a friend who was extremely clever and she always used to come first and I used to always be second or third. And then I think one year, don't know what happened. I came fifth or tenth overall in the class. And I think it was such a shock. And I think probably I remember being asked, you know, what went wrong. And I think that stuck in my head. And it wasn't said with any um, spite or anything, um, but it stuck in my head. And ever since then, I, you know, always wanted to get things perfect. So 
I did, you know, just would strive. And it probably, I didn't appreciate it at the time, but it probably set up a lot of stress for me trying to always get things right. And if someone didn't like me for some reason, then I would struggle with that. Mm. It would have been a real, oh my God, why don't they like me? What have I done? And I'd feel guilty very quickly. Mm. Um, if, even if I hadn't done something wrong, I think I had. And now I'm luckily at this place where if someone doesn't like me and people aren't going to all like me for whatever reason, big or small, that's I okay. wouldn't know why, but carry on. <laughs> <laughs> but it's okay. You know, it, it really is okay. And I, I look back to when, when we met. I mean, what a lovely sort of serendipity that was. That yeah, we, could we could tell our listeners about that, actually, how we met. <laughs> you want to do that? No, you can. You can. Well, we were members of an online um, cooking group and um, sort of Yotam Otolenghi appreciation group. And we ended up arranging, there was about six of us, I think, we met at Nopi, a restaurant, and we had a lovely dinner and chatted together. And that was how we met. And then we became Facebook friends, as you do, and yeah. kept in touch ever since. And that was quite a long time ago now, wasn't it? Must be... Oh, I want to say about six years ago. Yes, that's what I was thinking. Well, no doubt Facebook memories will remind us. <laughs> it's, yeah, and it's things like that, those connections with like-minded people, whether it's food or travel, it, they're fascinating and I love it because I've met so many people that I would never have met and actually physically meeting them as well, mm. I think is, has been really special. I agree, I agree. And I really wish I could find some time to cook more yotam food in my life but it is delicious it's amazing it's the best food on the planet in my opinion but it uh, takes about a day to make so oh, well have you have you had his simple book because that's great no i haven't it's one to check out okay i will check it out for sure <laughs> slightly you know, as, as the title says um, less ingredients and and very quick but still very super cool. tasty Perfect. Sounds perfect. Joe. if you could go back in time and whisper a little life lesson or an affirmation to the girl, what would you say to her? I would definitely say it doesn't have to be perfect. And also one of the main things is have a goal, have a dream, but don't become so fixated on that dream that you don't notice other opportunities along the journey. They're the two things that I would say. Yeah. Perfect. Oh, Joe, I could talk to you all day. <laughs> well, no, me too. Talk to myself. No, I love talking to you. Oh, it's really I could, great. I could, I could listen to you all day. Oh, your stories are beautiful, and I, I'm, I'm already, I'm still kind of um, imagining your enchanted childhood, and and how you um, played with your brother and had this loving connection with your family, and I can see how you've carried that through your life and instilled it into your own home with your own children and I can see how that radiates to everybody that you come into contact with and even the way you speak of your experiences of being around people I think that you're one of those people in life who manages to somehow without even trying create a community around her and I think that may well be the key to your success Oh, thank you, Roxana. That's really sweet, really sweet. Well, I hope so. I mean, it's important. I think community is going to be important to all of us, especially now. And I, I, I like to think that this experience we're all going through will really help cement 
um, those communities and that that feeling that we're all going through now will will linger a lot longer than the virus I hope so I'm sure I'm certain of it um if my listeners want to know more about you Joe, if they want to tap into your nutritional therapy or just hook up with you and hear all of these good loving vibes from you where should they go well it's easy to contact me through my um email i mean or my email which will be on my website which i think you have the details of yes i will add all your details to the show notes and i also have um facebook with the vital life nutrition where i've been posting a few videos of me doing some cooking recently and also instagram where i share some recipes and ideas um so they're the main venues that they can contact me through but yeah i'd love to hear from people and help them if they need um, nutritional therapy because it's a lot more than just diets and that is diving deep and also lots of functional testing which can really help get to the bottom especially of chronic illness and just to say to to people that might be listening that it's not something that you do either or it works well alongside orthodox medicine so it's it's just essential it's sort of so basic to me it's a bit like you don't put the wrong fuel in your car you've got to make sure your car is all the oil is the right level it's about balance in the body and helping your body maintain sort of optimal health and vitality it's not just not being ill it's about that optimal stage of being i think thanks to people like yourself joe i think the conversation around fuel um and food as fuel is much more higher up in people's minds now. And I think that's, I'm so pleased for that because I think when I was growing up, certainly there wasn't a lot of information about what foods you should and shouldn't eat. And I think um, my parents didn't really understand either. And I think that I kind of have in my 20s and 30s, due to having various conditions like IBS, have had to learn to eat the right foods in the right amounts and also supplement where I need to. Um, and that's only come because I've been in contact with people who offer nutritional, therapeutic um, advice and guidance. And I think what you do and what your colleagues do is amazing. Yeah, I think it's great. There's so many people out there with the knowledge. And my only advice is that I would, whenever you're checking for a nutritional therapist or anyone, always look at their registering bodies and get someone who is registered and insured because then you're protected. And I think it's important because there's so much conflicting advice out there about different diets. This is good for you one day, it's bad for you the next. And obviously it does change. We, we, we can only operate on what we know now. But it's very important you're, you're getting good advice from someone that is, is registered and insured for your own safety. Thank you. That's absolutely, that's absolutely right. Uh, so anyone who's listening right now, if you want to know more about Jo, go to the show notes and you will be able to find her website, her Facebook handles, her social media handles, and we will pop her email address on there too. Um, so please ask her any questions. She's here to guide advice and um, be there for you please uh, tap into her expertise thank you joe thank you so much for your time today no thank you very much i've really enjoyed chatting with you it's been great fun thank you for tuning in i wanted to let you know i am running a free five-day soul camp it's called change your story to change your life 
if your motivation or willpower have been inconsistent or even absent, then I'm here to tell you it's not your fault and we can do something about it. The reality is that unexpressed painful emotions is what keeps us blocked and prevents us from creating momentum and progress in our life. So from today, you can stop thinking you're broken and join the free five-day soul camp where I'll show you how to release your pain and energize solutions into your life. You can register by going to coachroxana.com forward slash soul camp. I'm Roxana Hussein and you've been listening to the Personal Power Boost Podcast. I don't like to ask anything of my listeners, but I've been told this really helps get the message out. Please go to the Apple Podcast app to rate and review this episode. If you're feeling generous, download three episodes as this helps the podcast reach more people so we can be of service to a growing community. Do join me next time for another personal power boost. Thank you for listening.